Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 168 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the finale, out of Yas Marina Circuit with the big Ferrari World thing and all the other things that go along with it. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and we had double the racing excitement today, so totally it would be normally reasonable to give double the points Double everything. Double the flavor... Double the fun. Double the satisfaction. Yes. No, this, this was the double points round, and uh, I think by, and anyone who's, who's listening to the show probably knows worthless. by now. Uh, well, <laughs> not only was the double points worthless, but Lewis Hamilton is our 2014 driver champion. So, well done, sir, to uh, to Lewis Hamilton. Now, he's now you know, a double world champion. Yes, winning, and he's the second, uh, or the, the, what's it, the most recent um Double British World Champion was Jack Stewart, 1973. So he's really brought you, it back home to the thing. Did you know, you know he's also the most recent World Champion? I yeah, he, you know he he has now ended the Vettel era and is now in the Hamilton era. Well, whatever. Um, yeah, man, Lewis Lewis is our drivers champion for 2014, and uh, I have to say, as we were looking at the permutations on the previous show and all the different things, it's not a huge surprise. You know, he had a lead going into this race, and uh, double points uh, ended up not being a factor really at all. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, um, he was able to round it out. I mean, just able to, it was not, a, you know, internally, you know, dominating the start for sure. Yes. Uh, then backing off quite a bit and then for a while looking like Massa might actually give him a run for it, but then ending up on the top step of the podium, winning the race, winning the championship in, uh, in, in great fashion. And, uh, yeah, Rosberg had some, had some troubles, but as he admitted, um, that wasn't really what lost him the championship or lost him the race win or whatever. It was like, no, it was already decided based, not, not entirely at turn one, but kind of, um, you know, in the first stint, Hamilton was pulling out and, uh, Rosberg was, um, you know, falling back, uh, falling back in the, in the time a little bit, uh, after just for whatever reason, not having an excellent start. And, uh, and then after that, then yes, had reliability, you know, car problems and it slowed him down further. I think, what did he end up? 13th or something? It was, it was 14th. not good. Or yeah. 13th or 14th. Yeah, one of the two. It was out of the points. And it was actually, it was the, the results that we ended up with were one of our four most likely outcomes that we talked about uh, after the Brazilian Grand Prix. And I just did some really super fast and really sloppy math. And I do believe Lewis Hamilton is the 17th multiple world champion okay. we've had. Wow. Super quick math. That could be off by a couple or a few. But, you know, I just I just went to Wikipedia and counted the number of times I saw a name more than once. And, you know, that's ironclad. That's clad in iron. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it, it was in many ways a relief that the world championship was not a different outcome because of the double points. I, that was my single biggest fear, is that something with the double points were going to affect the world championship, and then that would cast a cloud over it. And thank goodness we didn't have that. And there's two reasons for that. One, the cloud. Not a fan of clouds. Two, um, we, can, we have that much more evidence to say, yeah, Double points are stupid. We should never do this. Sounds like that's the way we're going anyway. But now it can be said. And it didn't even change 2014. Right. And uh, it has been talked about, although I don't think yet confirmed, that 2015 will not have double points and that that was really just a one-off thing, which would, of course, make it all the more just 
dumb if uh, if you know the outcome was uh, directly affected by double points um but it, it was anyway i don't want to spend the whole time talking about double points we had we did have a race we had um several other things to talk about that uh we can get oh, into it's been actually a very busy off week on top of everything else is going on i mean there was obviously the world championship but then a lots of lots of other news uh for example it's been confirmed what's where lonzo's going and uh, this, all this controversy about where is he going to go? Maybe he's going to be bike racing next year, and blah blah blah. All this kind of stuff. like it was all nonsense. It was in fact McLaren. Now we can move on from that. But there are corollary questions now. Yeah, who who's his teammate? Would be one question. We don't know yet. We and, don't know and, yet. And McLaren has said we're not going to announce until December at least. So. Um, yeah, we don't know if this was Jensen Button's final race in Formula One or not. Um, and even if he doesn't have a ride for 2015, it's not the you know craziest thing in the world that he could come back after that. But it is, of course, less and less likely as time goes by. Um, yeah, because he's old. So yeah, uh, Sebastian Vettel is confirmed as a Ferrari driver for next year alongside Kimi Raikkonen. Which that one was extra silly because Christian Horner said he's going to Ferrari right at the beginning. And then it was like, whoa, 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 that's not official. And it's like, yeah, but why wouldn't he say... You know what I mean? Like that one was... Quite, quite literally, the, the worst possible way to keep a secret, hence worst kept secret, um, of the 2015 silly season. Right. Um, Caterham is back. Yes. D- you know, against all odds or whatever. Uh, I was just listening to our show the other day uh, and, you know, our conversation about the um, uh, the Caterham crowdfund thing and, and whatever, which I have to say I'm still pretty um, cynical about. Um, they did actually now during the race today actually meet, met their target. So I think their target deadline was extended and whatnot. But either way, you know, a, a, you know, a couple of days ago it was obvious that uh, uh, Caterham would make it back for Abu Dhabi. Apparently, Marussia tried to uh, make a sort of a, a last-minute comeback and show up in Abu Dhabi, but that didn't happen. Um, they couldn't get any engines from Ferrari, and Ferrari, I guess, you know, needs the money too. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the Caterham thing apparently was uh, one of their sponsors is tied up with um, Crowdcube, which is the, the crowdsourcing tool that they use. So I think that may have been more than anything else. The, the main point of the whole crowdfund thing may have been to get some inertia behind Crowdcube. And so even if it was investors that were already going to invest in Caterham anyway, just by doing so through this crowdfunding thing that was, you know, put them on the map and makes one of their sponsors happy and whatever. So I'm still fairly cynical about that whole thing. But Caterham showed up with... Uh, Kamui Kobayashi in the one car, and of all people, Will Stevens in the other one. Who now, is, tell us, who is Will Stevens? He's this uh, British driver. He's like, what, Formula 3, I don't know, champion or high-placing guy? He's not champion, I guess, in, in Formula 3, but um, he's racing Formula 3 and probably has lots of money because he showed up in the caterham. Um, but actually, I have to say, did quite well for, <laughs> of all the ways to make a debut uh, in Formula 1. I mean, I guess it was Andre Lauderer's debut in Formula 1 as well when he raced in Spa, or just barely, for Caterham, but, um, you know, with a team who had been sat out for the last two races, just about out of money, um, and then this is sort of their last-ditch effort to just show up and try to keep the team going, um, you know, I'm sure they would have loved to score points or, or better, but, I had, you know, probably didn't have any, uh, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, dreams about actually getting into the points for uh, for this race, but... Um, yeah, they, you know, to show up, and he was sort of five to seven seconds off the pace early on, um, and even off Kobayashi's pace, but then over the course of the weekend, just kept getting faster and faster, and uh, and actually, you know, really got up to uh, to being really pretty pretty close to Kobayashi, who, as we say, is no slouch, and um, in the end, uh, Kobayashi did have a reliability issue. I don't know exactly what the what the fault was. Um, 
but uh, had to retire. Uh, and uh, that means that Will Stevens came 17th ahead of um, Kobayashi, who retired with 13 laps to go. Also ahead of Pastor Maldonado, who had a spectacular engine failure, and Daniel Cafiat as well. So, yeah, uh, well done. I mean, he f- on his on his debut thing, he met the 107 percent rule, so he you know actually qualified to be in the race. Yeah, drove the entire race, managed the car, kept it clean, and whatever. And uh, you have to say, very well done to doing that because that is not uh, apparently the easiest thing to do in the world uh, with all the retirements and problems Caterham have had. So, you know, it's there. It's kind of a weird way of getting there, but I have to say, well done for Caterham to uh, to get there and to Will Stevens to uh, make his F1 debut. And as he's saying, hopefully this is a good jumping off point for a drive for him in the future. Um, although there's not many seats open for next year. So, you know, I don't know that that's going to happen for 2015, but I guess who knows with uh, the way small teams uh, and, th- and things are shaking out. Yeah, agreed. It's, you know, it's an interesting time. We do have Gene Haas coming in 2016. We also have conversations about allowing more than two cars from the bigger teams. Um, but it's an interesting juxt- It's an interesting um, Oh, boy, I'm lost for words here. It's an interesting time of um, fluctuation for Formula One. How are they going to adapt to this world? It's been part of the conversation for quite a few years now. How are we going to contain costs? And in some ways, it kind of lost uh, lost uh, status, became a back burner issue, left the headlines. But now, now it's kind of like, no, this was a serious issue that had to be contained and it's really getting to a point that the smaller teams can't take it. I mean, Caterham being here in 2015 seems quite unlikely to me. That's a lot of crowdfunding. Right. Well, I think, if anything, the crowdfunding has shown to the sponsors that there is support there and that if they can get you know get the money stuff worked out behind the scenes, that at least they're... Their sponsors, people will like what's what's going on with that, so that should be good. Um, but yeah, it, it is a big question mark. I think they've technically entered the championship for next year, so if the money comes together, then they're eligible to do that. But will the money come together, or will they show up? And technically, a team can miss three races in a championship and still be part of the championship. So they could actually sit the first three out if they're still getting their you know stuff together and uh, and show up for what China or something and uh, and compete from there on out is is like the latest they could possibly do it and still technically be part of the thing. Right. But at that point, it's like what's what's really the point if you're not if you're not there for a lot of what's going on or um, not getting your your brand in front of fans or whatever, then uh, that doesn't seem like that's a good way to keep moving forward and everything. Yes. So okay, it was weird to me. Sauber did not secure any points this season none at all meaning that not only did marusha finish 10th marusha was ninth they were ninth yeah so they were well and truly into the points paying position of the championship for constructors it's worth tens of millions of dollars but they don't exist so what does that mean well we've learned a lot through the caterham thing uh that f1 teams are complicated beasts anyway um, because there's not one company that is the Caterham Formula 1 team. There's one company that has the the F1 license which is in the case of Caterham like MF1 Industries or something which is like Malaysia 1 Formula Racing something or other um, and then they like license out the ability to race to the team based in Leafield that actually operates the team and then there's another one that's the brand and then neither of the none of those are actually connected to Caterham the car company but anyway it's all complicated but uh, so I guess what's possible, pretty unlikely, but possible, is that another team, another company could buy 
the entity, the the Marusha, you know, whatever, not shell company, but the portion of the Marusha organization that actually holds that FIA license um, and spin that into something else that could be completely separate from the actual people, you know, let alone drivers, but all the mechanics and administrators, you know, the whole um, rest of the, of the team as a, as a company. Um, so there are a couple ways this could play out. Um, you know, when one thinks about it and looking at, you mentioned Haas F1 a minute ago, um, they are due to start in 2016 with Ferrari Power. Yes. If you think about, hey, well, we're looking to hire now a whole bunch of people um, that know how to run a Formula One team with, you know, some levels of success, but certainly with more money, you could imagine higher levels of success that already know their way around this complicated Ferrari powertrain. You think, well, actually, there's a lot of people down at the Marusha factory that all know that, you know, so you could you could imagine... Um, hopefully a future for uh, some of those people, uh, certainly all, all the folks in the team um, that probably have nothing to do with the, the money and financial side of, of what's going on um, and are just working their hearts out to get, you know, those people into a new role that uh, where they can take advantage of their skills and, and keep moving forward with some new money and some new backing and so on, uh, that that could be sort of a silver lining for some of those folks. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have to see, I guess, if anything, you know, we'd have to hear about it probably in the next, you know, before the end of the year, really, to know if, uh, if anything is going to come of the Marusha, you know, organization or the, the companies associated with uh, that whole operation, um, if, or if that really has just gone away. Um, and you can imagine these things, I mean, you know, a company doesn't exactly exist and then not exist. It's like in administration, all the, all the people have been let go, but there's probably something of an organization that still exists to collect that prize money from the FIA, and it probably goes to some people that they owe money to or whatever. I mean, there's probably yeah. some, some behind-the-scenes business things that are actually happening there. But um, – you know, it's 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 certainly too bad to see the team where they go from a functioning operation, um, and over the course of sort of you know, then they do a race with one car, and then then they don't show up at all for the rest of the season. Um, that is a uh, certainly a, a pretty serious unraveling for them. Okay, um, I'm going to bring it back to championship winners for a moment, uh, just to kind of <laughs> I guess in a way steer the conversation more positive, and uh, that way I can then refocus my attention because I was half having this conversation, listening to you half looking at different possibilities of championships, stuff like that. So some stats for you, sir. Um, there, uh, Lewis Hamilton is the 16th, not the 17th, 16th different driver to win multiple championships. Okay. Um, uh, you know, right behind, uh, believe it or not, Sebastian Vettel. Amazing enough. Um, this was fun. The most world championships, Drivers' World Championships won by a country. Uh, as in, okay, so number of championships, not number of drivers from that country. Right, exactly. Number of championships total. I think Germany. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, you, you, the United Kingdom has won the most, fifteen. Uh, okay. But here's where it gets a lot of. Here's where it gets fun. The number of drivers that have brought those fifteen championships, ten. Okay. The second place is Germany. Yeah. Number of drivers, two. <laughs> so it's really, so this is only this is of all world championship. So there's not been another, from 1950 on. So there's never been another German world champion besides Michael Schumacher or Sebastian Vettel. That's right. But they have brought home more than any other country except for the United Kingdom. United Kingdom was Jackie Stewart with three, Jim Clark with two, Graham Hill with two, Lewis Hamilton with two. And by the way, Wikipedia is already updated. Um, Mike Hawthorne, Mike Hawthorne brought one, John Surtees brought one, James Hunt brought one, Nigel Mantle, Nigel Mansell brought one, Damon Hill brought one, and Jensen Button brought one. Schumacher. Oh, I would have thought there were some other Germans in there, but yeah. apparently not. <laughs> Schumacher and Vettel, seven and four. And then, then we get to Brazil, um, 
with Nelson Piquet, Ayrton Senna, and Emerson Fittipaldi. And uh, then from there, it's it, Argentina is a fun one because that's Juan Mil, that's Juan Manuel. Oh, wow. <laughs> Juan Mil, we're calling him now. It's yeah. Fangio with five. Finland's four, and that's with three different drivers. Right. Australia's four. That's with two different drivers. Austria is actually four. Uh, I forgot. Jochen Ringt was from uh, Austria as well. And then uh, uh, France, four, with one guy, Elaine Prost. Um, Ascari uh, brought home uh, two for uh, Italy, one from Giuseppe Farina, which was the very first one, though. Right. Uh, United States, two championships, two drivers, Phil Hill, Mario Andretti. Spain, Alonso. Don't even say, need to go with that. But then we've got three one-fers. New Zealand with Denny Holm. Um, South Africa with Jody Schechter. And Canada with Jacques Villeneuve. Oh, man, that Villeneuve championship. Oh, man, uh, and that's something. Just when I'd forgotten about freaking French-Canadian but I world just, champion. I absolutely love that. 15 championships, 10 drivers, 11 championships, 2 drivers. I think that really goes to show like the difference in mentality between the countries at, you know, at a high level. You know what I mean? It's just like they find a guy and boom, they focus. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, can you really say that though? I mean, it's, Yeah, uh, I just did. Right, but isn't McLaren focused? It's, I mean, I don't know that you'd say that McLaren with when, when they found Lewis Hamilton is they found a guy and they focused. It just sometimes it worked better than other times and you know, he had this drought of of winnings when it fit, uh, went other ways. But I mean, look, the the by far the most possible chance of this is that it's a coincidence and it's just fun uh, that Michael Schumacher just happens to be German and what had the mindset he had to bring home the championships he did. And Sebastian Vettel is that way himself a little bit, but also was a part of the Adrian Newey Red Bull dominance. Right. And I do think there's a correlation there because Vettel, and he's said this, you know, a bunch of times and would admit to this for sure, you know, sort of idolized Schumacher. You know, he grew up seeing him and was inspired by him. And there's a big thing. um, And, and, you know, I I think actually plays into Germany's World Cup um, success as well. It's sort of it's that second generation of you see the first generation go and it sort of really opens people's eyes to that. and, And, you know, the whole not as the entire country, of course, but certainly more people in that country become focused on this national hero. And then some people turn that into all the hard work and effort and development that has to go into you know their own success so it's not to say that you know that Vettel's you know success is not at all related to Schumacher's but that you know that that would be different in another country or whatever is yeah maybe um but uh either way um it's I think it's I think it's cool that for Hamilton um he got what he wanted you know when we left uh when he left McLaren and at the time too was a really crappy looking Mercedes team uh, yes you know and he was like oh it's a new challenge and oh you know I really want to you know at first it was like you know I just want to maybe get some points um and then you know got a win and then it was like oh wait hold on this this is really coming together you know last year and then um so for him to not just be the you know McLaren chosen one uh but to um take on a new challenge change teams and to bring them a driver's championship and obviously a huge part in the constructor's championship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in a second team. He's sort of proven himself in this way that so far Sebastian Vettel has not um, with, you know, being just part of one organization. Um, that's exactly what he was after, you know? Yeah. And so to do it like this, like he says, it's, it's more meaningful than the first one. And of course it, it, it must be, I mean, to, you know, to, to, it's no uh, small accomplishment to get any, 
world championship at, at anything really, but in Formula One. Um, but then to to come back, um, you know, several years later, it's arguably a different era. I mean, people were talking about it on online. Um, you know, those were it was grooved tires. It was refueling in the cars. It was what? you know. Oh yeah, grooved tires went away in 2010, didn't they? Right. So yeah. it was arguably like you know a, a different era <clears throat> of Formula One. It was not the turbos. It was not V6s. It was not hers, curs and durs and whatever. It was like. You know, it was 2008. That was a long time ago. And uh, to... Uh, oh, that's that's so sad for you to say because we were podcasting then. I'm like, it wasn't that long ago. We had already podcasted. I mean, had to be recent. But yeah, we're old. <laughs> it, so here's what's funny. I'm it's looking not old, at, it's staying power. Yes, yes, we're experienced. So Lewis Hamilton won uh, this year. He won 11 times. Um, but when you think about it, it's a 19-race calendar. He won 11, eight races to go. Well, he had three retirements, so that makes 14. So between winning and retiring, uh, that was most of his season. And then on top of that, when he wasn't winning or retiring, he was on the podium. He, that was it. He was uh, second in Monaco, second in um, Austria, third in Germany, third in Hungary, and second in Brazil. And he, otherwise, it was either all or nothing. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of, kind of the reputation that Lewis Hamilton's built up, which I think you know, is a bit is a touch unfair, and I think you will agree with that for sure. Yeah, and we were just talking about uh, Will Buxton's article um, about he had he had one for Rosberg and one about Hamilton, sort of the, the contenders he called them, and sort of their backstory and how did they get to where they are now in. Uh, in Formula One and all that. And I think, you know, Lewis has this reputation of kind of being uh, not so engineering focused, but really kind of, you know, intuitive and natural talent and seat of the pants. Like, oh, he'll just go out and drive his heart out. Um, Which that part on its own, that's not untrue. He, right. He is intuitive. He does have a natural talent. But, you know, I think um, Will's point was, was that there's really a lot more to him than that. And the exactly. fact that he sort of you know, allows that reputation to persist is in, a, in a, on its own way, a very cunning move, um, to sort of, um, you know, not, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, get, not get into people's heads or whatever, but to, uh, to sort of let them, you know, underestimate him slightly. And then he can really come through and, and you know, dominate in, in very clever ways. And, uh, you know, and I think we, we've seen that this year. Um, yes, we've made some mistakes, but, um, on the whole, just the times he's been able to, sometimes it's a strategy thing and it's, and it's just, you know, just some right calls there working with the team. Sometimes it's purely just on pace and putting the right pressure at the right times and whatever. Um, but obviously you, if you're able to win more than anyone else, um, then, uh, that's arguably, um, earns, should earn you a championship, uh, in a lot of people's minds. And in this case, you know, it, it, it did line up for him that, uh, you know, by, by no virtue of double points or any other nonsense, uh, was Rosberg able to, to get the championship. So it was, you know, dealing with the unreliabilities, but also, uh, you know, coming through and just really, uh, like you say, making it, if, if he has, if he's given half a chance to, to do well in a race that, yeah, you know, like you say, he never finished outside the podium, um, if it wasn't a retirement, like right. that's uh, really, uh, it's an interesting stat, you know, it's the, to see how it, how it panned out for him in the season. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways for a lot of people, this was a long time coming. The second championship, really the one championship that was his to lose that he did in fact lose was his rookie season. And God, that's understandable. And he's a rookie. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, um, and from there, he won the very next year. He won the world championship, just barely, yes, but he won it. And then from that point on, it's pre pretty much accepted that he is one car, one driver, the fastest guy in the grid at any given time. 
but just couldn't come together for one reason or another, right? But now it's come together, and really, if you think about it, in quite uh, quite dominant form. Um, although, that said, and this was my jumping-off point, I think it's worth discussing Nico Rosberg a little bit here. He really put in a strong effort. That name kind of sounds familiar, but I don't really remember who you're talking about. Who's that? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Should have. He was that guy that finished second in the championship that one year. Oh, so he's okay. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jim Jim Lau is in a very blow offy mood right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was in a way. I think how, how you know Nico's prospects at the end of the season. A lot of announcers and commentators and in article, you know, where writers and so on got um, got a little bit overexcited about how this was, uh, like we talked about in, in, you know, from Brazil, like, you know, Nico was behind in the championship. It's like everyone was saying, oh, this is his race to lose. And, uh, you know, he's got all the chances in the world, whatever. It's like, well, yeah, OK, he's 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 done well. But this, you know, especially the, the success that he had in Brazil um, was, uh, you know, it was not. Uh, a game changer because it's like, yeah, okay, he had less of a lead uh, uh, or, you know, uh, Hamilton had less of a lead than he did before, but um, it's, you know, he didn't win as many races. Yes, he was, he, he, you know, qualified best as many times as possible, but um, that's, he got his trophy like we talked about and that's going to be great. He's going to cherish that forever. And it was in fact, by the end of the season was 11 times right in on pole. So, you know, he, he put his stamp on it after securing it. Right. He, yeah, but that said, it really wasn't that close of a championship uh, decider here, right? I mean, it was. But what we talked about it, you know, if if even if Rosberg did everything he possibly could and got a car on pole, which he did, and then went on to lead the race, which he did not, and went on to win the <laughs> race, which he did not, then you know it still would have been Hamilton would have had to come third, and I just didn't see that happening. You know, I mean, yes, the Williams do have some good pace and occasionally are able to do that, are able to, to sort of threaten for things. And, and of course, without uh, without Rosberg in the running here, uh, by the end of it, it was a Williams 2-3, so well done for them. But I really don't think it was that close to being a, um, a you know, a, a Rosberg title. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of people wanted to draw it out to that to, to keep, you know, keep the championship exciting. But um, I think the point you and I both made is sort of the championship is exciting enough. Um, exactly. And, you know, we, we saw the, the intro... Uh, for F1 today, it was like, oh, this is just like setting, you know, stepping out onto the center court at Wimbledon, or just you know coming through the tunnel to the Super Bowl. It's like, no, this is cooler than that. This yeah, is you don't have better. to make a sports analogy for this. <laughs> this is a sport, and it's you don't need an analogy for that. You don't have to explain to us. You know what this, this is, is like? This is like driving the best cars in the world as fast as possible against other people in other cars that are really, really, really good. Right. You know, it's it's just silly. It's like well, lots of smart people trying really, really hard to do the same thing, and only one person is going to be the best at it. Here's some fun symmetry though that really bounces off what you just said nicely and i don't know why bouncing off is my segue of the day but there you go lewis hamilton won 11 races this year nico rosberg won pole position 11 times this year hmm fascinating to me um i just like that 11 and 11 it's like oh boy if you'd only flip them nico that uh that might have been a thing well i did like rosberg's post-race interview with with our will buxton the pit reporter from nbc sports um where he was like i was a little sore just a little bit he was like i well, was better on pole. He was like well yeah you know something about lewis hamilton was the better driver and then kind of realized what he said and he was like but by 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 tiny bit and in the races only because i had that in pole i mean i had the poles but in the race okay he was he was better but yeah a little bit like so, very carefully trying to <laughs> make his point unlike lewis hamilton there were um there, he had two retirements instead of three 
And there were two occasions where he did finish the race and did so not on the podium. He was fourth place in Hungary, and he was 14th place here in Abu Dhabi. Um, but it's it's quite fascinating to see because uh, he won only five races uh, this year, but uh, was second place one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Right, he and was second. Almost all those were Lewis Hamilton, of course. A few, maybe Daniel Ricciardo. Well, um, uh, Belgium being a noticeable uh, distinction from that list. Right. Uh, so I guess I'd probably be the only one. So it's. Um, you know that you have to you have to say okay the way championship points should work i mean separate from double points and all that but it kind of seems like okay the guy if, if there's somebody won 10 times and someone else came runner up to that guy uh, the majority of the season then you know w- would it seem wrong to you if rosberg had had won this championship would you would that be a failing of the point system do you think well no, I, I'm not the type of person because everyone knew what the point system was at the beginning of the 2014 season, just as just as well as they knew them at the end. So it's fair play, and if Rosberg had won in that point system, he would have won the world championship, and I wouldn't have had any questions about it. However, this is going almost certainly become a fun anomaly year for points. In Formula One, for you know, Formula One points have progressed. You know, it used to be nine points for the winner, uh, six for second, and I think that went down to fifth. Then they added a tenth point and a point for sixth. Then it became, I think, there was at one point where it went down to eight. It was the top eight, and then as we have it now, the top ten. But then in this year and this year only, there was the double points issue. Right. And so every other situation you're talking about, there's been a progression of the points. So that points are awarded, you know, certain when the winning is as a ratio of more importance or less importance versus other steps on the podium or other points position. And then more points are rewarded farther down the field. Right. Um, but it's been a linear progression, more or less. And then this is some kind of weird outlier. Right. So to win that championship and for that championship to have depended on that outlier, that would have just been... A little weird. But no, I would have said he won it, and that would be that. Well, not that you're going to say, I disagree. I'm always going to call Lewis Hamilton the rightful 2014 champion I mean, to, to that extent. I think a lot of people would do exactly that, well, though. They, they may do. Just um, like, well, I'll give you a for instance. Paul Tracy and was it the 2002 Indianapolis 500? Many people say Paul Tracy won the Indy 500. I am Googling that. Google that. Win- because it winner, was... Winner, Elio Castroneves. Yeah, it was... Um, there was a yellow flag, and... The the question was, did Paul Tracy make the pass before or after the Indy course went full yellow? And pretty much very clearly shows that it went after. But they called it before and said Castroneves won the race, not Paul Tracy. Because I think it went yellow and then it went red. And that was the race. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I've got the little breakdown or whatever. But it was like after there was a red flag at the very end because there was a crash. And it was like, well, do we count at the red flag? And what was the time and when the flag? But he wasn't on the part of the track where the red flag was. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was that was a tricky one. So are, are you in that camp of like, the, the stat books are wrong? That's exactly my point. I am not in that camp, nor oh, okay. would I have been in that camp had Rosberg won in that way. But my point is some people would be in that camp. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good camp. That's like a good grumpy old man, like... 
you know, you'll read in the record books that he's got four wins, but really he's got five. I right. don't agree with this. I'm shaking my fist. Um, but that's, you know, certainly on the, um, I mean, the dub, double points is definitely a very reactionary move, um, primarily from Bernie Ecclestone, um, where last year um, Vettel clinched the championship in India, of all places. But Shame like, what was on it, him. Three or four races to go. I mean, it would have been Brazil, Abu Dhabi, yeah, and but you know what's U.S. Weird? You know, when Michael Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, was it 2002 or 2004? He secured the championship in like July. I mean, it was just shocking. Right. And, and that didn't, the following year wasn't a new point system that was drastically different. Well, maybe he was just more popular than, than Vettel or something, but this was a reaction to, and, and really, you know, Bernie's uh, big concern, I think, is the bottom line of saying, okay, well, if our TV viewership is down um, because everyone, oh, we already know who's got the championship, so why are we going to watch? Um, so, okay, well, how can we make it happen to happen? Well, double points. And, of course, that was before they knew how everything was going to shake out with Mercedes and the fact that it didn't matter anyway at the end of it. Um, but, you know, if anything, we can say, okay, we had a great season. Double points didn't matter. Um, maybe for next year we'll have a little bit of balance of performance happening um, to bring the other guys up closer to Mercedes level, hopefully not bring Mercedes down a peg because that seems counterproductive, but um, with a little bit of unfreezing of engine regulations so that um, it's not a foregone conclusion that it's always going to be the Mercedes powertrain is the, the, the most power, most dominant, you know, most powerful thing. Um, but, you know, if they can get back to the, the sensible idea that we don't need double points to make this interesting. When we've got the the dynamic of the way things are, and just for whatever reason, the the, the team dynamic between Vettel and Mark Webber um, at Red Bull just meant that it was all about Vettel, and that you know took him to championship dominance very you know much earlier in the season. But we don't need that anymore. This was sort of a, a, a crutch that was a year too late in terms of the you know the the offset from when when they needed the problem solved to when they actually could implement it for the following year um, didn't end up paying off. So I think it's at least progress that they see that and go, oh, this is just the way things are now. Because um, as we talked about, uh, IndyCar does double points for the finale. NASCAR, I don't even know how to explain. I don't know if you've, if you've been up on the way the NASCAR chases just, and the eliminations well, and the disqualifications. Well, Kevin Harvick won the championship. Right, but like how close, uh, how close it could have been to someone who won no races at all. If, if he had won, then he could have been champion, even just because of this weird elimination. Like it, it swung, in my opinion, too far to the end of the show and away from the sport and kind of the the merit of who you know who has really earned this championship and whatever. So yes, it, you know Kevin Harvick was a deserving winner uh, and and had you know had a lot of wins and it was all good. But um, it was very close to being um, you know angry old men shaking their fists at how oh you know the rightful winner shouldn't have been you know it shouldn't have been crazy. So like well, I thought it was between Kevin Harvick and Jeff Gordon mainly. Um, but who's third in the final race? Some other right because it was like if he had won he had not won anything in the whole season but if he had won or even come second or something it would have been like enough points and because of the way the eliminations were it was going to be a screwball so it was like anyway uh you know if, if something had happened between the first two it just could have really been farcical just so it ended up added okay. to the list of reasons why we don't watch nascar right and, i mean and clearly this is a very elegant explanation of the whole thing but um <laughs> You know, and, and so, and I guess the you know the other uh, of these kind of reactionary solutions, it's like, oh, there's no passing in Formula One. Okay, well, we come up with DRS, and that's you know arguably been successful. I think I think it's it's, it's you know in some ways people, I think there are some folks who still think that's kind of artificial, but I think we've all kind of uh, you know are at peace with how that works, and uh, that that does make things more interesting, and it doesn't seem like it's unfair. Um, kind of game anymore. I think well, we're sort it, of used to it at least. What I feel like, just because this actually brings up another big conversation we won't have now, but um, I think what DRS was, was a very good band-aid on a problem that needs a fundamental fix. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, to help 
this issue we have with aerodynamics making it harder to pass will temporarily change aerodynamics, giving an advantage. And yeah, it's a talking point. It's an added strategy to the race when it comes live and how to utilize it. And then that bakes in the strategy of pushing really hard to get more than a second in front of somebody else and all these type of things. So for that part, it's good. But I still feel like ultimately it's a Band-Aid for a problem that should be fixed in different ways. Right. And But that's a different thing. Um, so uh, Nico Rosberg. Yeah. I feel like he kind of did sort of become the villain that is obviously not completely um, out of his hands, but I feel like it was over overblown a little bit. And he did something that I was very happy to see. He had a gesture of coming up into the podium ceremony and making a point to congratulate Lewis Hamilton. And I thought... Good. There is a sign of respect. They've had a really tough year. It's understandable that they're going to be tense with each other. This is extremely important to both of them. Mm -hmm. And they had something to do. And then on top of that, this was this was one of the things that we frankly didn't seem to think was that probable. It was the end of the season. Thanks be sorted out. Nico had a serious problem. His errors failed. And he couldn't compete. It wasn't a fair fight. He essentially had a failure. Right. Although I think um, he was given many, many chances to blame not, you know, his lack of victory on the car and didn't go for it. He said, no, you know, yes, okay, obviously I had the car problem. I could have probably come second if I'd done that. But as he said, made very clear um, and reiterated, um, this that he wasn't in for the win and then if only for this car problem now it, it didn't go which is you know the opposite usually the typical race driver thing is to blame everything else beside but yourself to say oh no no, no if, I, you know, if i hadn't done for that i totally would have won or you know right you know right that's a very, it's a very common thing i guess anywhere but uh to, for him to say no really like you know if, if anything it was at the start you know as, as soon as he was behind him but but even that you know it wasn't that um hamilton just had an amazing turn one and then rosberg was right there i mean it was pulling out very quickly I up mean, to just, like a second and a half and then two and a half and it kind of stayed there for the first uh, stint. no it's the first moments of the race hamilton was gone it was like he was on an aircraft carrier getting kind of the slingshot treatment of an f-18 off the runway and rosberg didn't have that. I mean, Lewis's Hamil- Lewis Hamilton's launch compared to Rosberg's was two completely different. I mean, it was it was more dramatic than Mark Webber's worst starts when it was Webber v Vettel and in those kind of launches. It was like you know comical. It's like oh, yet another Webber launch where it's all bizarre. No, this was. This was shocking. And it was more that it was Hamilton's was shockingly good than Rosberg's shockingly bad. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing the Williams weird about Rosberg. did approach, did get a little bit faster, uh, you know, approach behind uh, Rosberg. So it was maybe like a little bit slower than average for Rosberg. But whatever Lewis's guys did and his car and his clutch and whatever, it just really came together perfectly. So it wasn't it wasn't that it was like a you know, bog or near stall or something from, from Rosberg so much. It was just like... Hamilton's like, I don't know how I did that. That was the best start I've ever done. But he said it was like a rocket ship. But your explanation of being like a catapult is actually much better because rocket ships don't accelerate that quickly off the line. So Thank I you. appreciate your technical accuracy. And in that way, you are better than world champion Lewis Hamilton. Uh, yes, one of many. So uh, I, I just want to, you know, I, what I feel is important for us to say and for people to remember is that th- these two were running on very high tensions because the stakes were very high for them individually. I mean... This was Lewis Hamilton 
wanting to prove everyone right that he was a phenomenal driver more so than anyone anybody else proved it to himself and this was Nico Rosberg wanting to show his father that he could repeat his success and be a world champion. I mean, these were huge, huge stakes. This was Mercedes after whatever, what's the 59 years, you know, becoming world champion again, who was going to be the driver that did that? You know, these were just huge stakes. So it makes sense. that These guys would run really, really tense and things would, it'd be hard to maintain a friendship through all that. And at, at the end of it, the season's over and, these are still human beings, and they had a human moment, and I think it's worth noting and appreciating. Human moment noted and appreciated. Who will be Fernando Alonso's teammate next year? Kevin Magnuson. That's that's just I mean I, I we, mean it's sad, we talked a little right? bit about this ahead of time, and you were you seem fairly sure. I just I mean I, I don't have any actual information or whatever, of course, but. Um, it just it just seems that way. I mean, he's um, you know the second driver they've done this with since Lewis Hamilton, and now we've just talked sung Lewis Hamilton's praises for quite a while. But um, it's a big deal for McLaren, who they have this driver development program, but it's um, you know it's it's not as big of a deal. They don't have a, they don't have a junior team like STR does for Red Bull and whatever. It's a uh, you know it's a very big deal for them to invest in uh, a youngster and bring him up through the series and you know get him an F1 seat. And it seems like it would be counter to their whole program if they say okay well we're gonna you know we had this guy um and he did pretty well not great but he did okay um kevin magnuson uh so he's you know really young and he's showing promise but yeah we're gonna fire him because we want to have two old guys on our team and you know it's all relative of course but fernando alonso and jensen button are not the youngest guys in the field so jensen did um outscore uh, kevin magnuson by quite a bit i mean fairly handed at the end of the season handily, yeah um Jensen Button finished 8th with 126 points. Kevin Magnussen in 11th place with 55 points. 55 to 126. And so, if, you look, if you look at Jensen's uh, second half of the season, I mean, last, last third especially, he really came alive there. You know, as the car, as the car got more competitive, which as, it did, the McLaren definitely improved. And as the news of him not likely having a seat for next year became more... Out there in the world, arguably. Yeah, I, well, sure. I mean, <laughs> Is that correlated or not? You know, it's just... I mean, so he was on the podium in Australia, and then kind of a string of miss, and then it was hot and cold, but he was fourth in Canada, he was fourth in England, he was fourth in Russia, and fourth in Brazil. I mean, a lot of really good runs, and when you consider the performance of the car, it was quite good. And just like you said, he ended up scoring a lot more points than Magnuson. Um, I am totally biased, because... Obviously, I'm a Button fan, and I'd want Button to stick around. I want Button to retire on his own terms. Right. And that's the biggest thing for me, I think. Um, but uh, I do understand the point. I also think Kevin Magnussen has proved very worthy as a Formula One driver. He is but 21 years old. Right. And I, I think, frankly, I think both guys deserve a seat in Formula One. McLaren instead chose to you know rehire the guy that essentially cost them a hundred million dollars in 2007 yeah what's a hundred million between friends uh, <laughs> and uh you know cost them anything in the 2007 constructors world championship fernando alonso was kind of a key player in that fernando alonso was an angry person at mclaren in 2007 they're bringing him back and i'm not saying that's a mistake 
Alonso is a phenomenal driver. There's no argument there. I'm just saying I'd be shocked if there's like zero bad blood from that still. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how many people from that that team are still around in McLaren. You know, there's there's been a lot of moving around and, and you know, obviously new teams coming and going. I mean, 2007 is sort of forever ago in F1 terms. So Well, we were um, just talking about how long ago 2008 was. And so. this is even longer than that. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so you, you wonder how much that, that matters or doesn't matter. Or at the end of the day, you'd think, okay, yeah, okay, it was, it was weird before, but we're all here to win as much as we can and do as well as we can in the championships and so on. Like, okay, yeah, maybe it was weird last time, but let's let's move on with this, guys, and, and just, you know, move forward and, and have as much success as we can. Yes. And that's the thing, right? So you've got, with McLaren, if they had a three-car team, then a lineup of Alonso, Button, and Magnussen seems like eh, pretty darn stellar, right? You know, between the, the, the feedback and the experience, you wonder how, if, uh, if there'd be, um, uh, you know, uh, driver personality clashes, you know, to some extent with uh, with with Button and Alonso. If there's a uh, any all favoritism and oh yeah, he's more senior, but oh he's more successful, whatever. Um, but you imagine, okay, that's been a very good formula for a lot of Formula One teams, right? Is have the 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 young upstart driver who's not as not 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 returning on your investment quite a bit yet, but you're still investing in him so that that's your your longer term, uh, you know, build up to be a multi champion, hopefully kind of play. And then you've got the more senior driver who's right now probably scoring more points, right now maybe able to develop the car and give some good feedback and whatever while the youngster is learning and and whatever. Um, so I feel like you have that with Alonso as as the the elder statesman and uh, and Magnussen as as the young upstart, and it doesn't necessarily leave room for Jensen Button. Um, and we did see, obviously, with Ferrari this year, um, you know, with two, you know, in this case, two world champions, um, and with you know, Alonso being one of them, yes. and Raikkonen, was this just Raikkonen's personality thing, or was Ferrari just really, really crappy, or it kind of seems like this dynamic seemed like it was set up to be, man, this is going to be great, they're going to push each other, and it's going to be really tight, and it's going to be amazing, and it just wasn't. Um, no, so, it was not at all. You know, <laughs> it was, you think, that was the biggest disappointment of the season, perhaps. That was going to be the big rival in Formula One, the intra teammate rival in Formula One, and it just wasn't. Right. Nico and Lewis definitely delivered. That was amazing. That was epic. Right. But and you would have thought, okay, Vettel, um, you know, oh, he's going to have a new teammate. It's not going to be Mark Webber. How's that all going to work? And Ricardo just, you know, kind of owned Vettel yeah. all the way around. I mean, Ricardo, Ricardo proved to be a phenom, and absolutely love the man for it. The best thing about Ricardo isn't his pace, though. It's his attitude. It's just yeah, he really seems to be having fun and enjoying what's going on. But guess it is enjoyable. Right. After but all. then doing that with the level of success that he has. So Daniel Ricardo, let's we forget, finished third in the championship behind the two Mercedes guys and their dominant machines. Uh, and and you know, arguably the you know Williams uh, without Mercedes power. Right. And and Williams was the stronger team in terms of overall team performance. So it was Ricardo was like the outlier in a positive way Ooh, for Red Bull. But you know what? He did have that flexible front wing. He did have the flexi wing dun. and he did have and this is after, you know, getting his podium taken away from um from Australia for the fuel flow field as well. Yeah, so, um, you know, Vettel finished fifth with 167 points. Ricardo, 238 points for third. And, you know, Vettel's motivation at the end of the season may not have been so much because he knew he was going off to Ferrari and that this wasn't, right. didn't matter so much. But, I mean, you have to say just the the way in which he did it, um, some of the specific moves that Ricardo has made and all that. I mean, he really just, um, you, you know, it just seems like a top dude. And you kind of hope that the car and the team around him really come together because it'd be great to see him, you know, really in the running for a championship uh, longer into the season uh, because it seems like he's one of those that really could earn it and uh, has just come up through the program and, and really shown himself not being, um, 
you know, afraid of, oh, my, my teammate is, you know, that at the time reigning four-time world champion Vettel and, you know, the world revolves <laughs> around him and this is amazing and he's, uh, yeah. you know, kind of to, to fill Mark Webber's shoes and whatever, but just to go out there and apparently, you know, at least from the outside, not have that phase him at all and just go on and, and have just this, you know, really great season and uh, and really arguably get more than that card, you know, deserved uh, in terms of results. So um, really, really well done to Ricardo and, um you know, I think him slotting into the top role at uh, at Red Bull is a very natural fit. I mean, like you said, he sort of is now. Yeah. Um, but then, so what'll be interesting next year is how the relative pace shakes out if Mercedes is still on top. But Ferrari v Red Bull is kind of anybody's guess as far as who's going to be a bit stronger. Uh, and, you know, for next year is, you know, with uh, Renault power or Infinity, whatever they're calling it, power on one side, Ferrari power on the other. Um, if You know, who are those moves forward in the offseason? But we right. could have a good Ricardo Vettel battle now different teams, which yeah. is, like, even better. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. And it's going to be fascinating how that plays out because that is another thing that's kind of bubbling under the surface. Mercedes, shockingly, says, I like the way the engine formula is right now. And others, shockingly, are saying, the engine formula should change. Right. So how that comes up and the other thing that's been controversial is how much development is allowed during the off season between now and next year and this kind of stuff. I mean, clearly, clearly... Mercedes came up with some novel ideas that were brilliant, and I hope that they make their way into um, the, the larger automotive industry as a whole, some of their ideas. But, you know, it, it, the other teams will adapt those things, come up with novel ideas of their own. It'll eventually get there. And I think driving and developing technology is a huge part of uh, Formula One. That's been something that's around for a while. And in addition to that, we have another manufacturer coming on board of course we have mclaren and honda joining up and i i really can't wait to see that i think this is something that uh honda desperately needs and i i want i so desperately want history to repeat itself and mclaren and honda to have something that's really strong yeah for sure and then actually after 2015 for 2016 we'll have haas f1 coming in um but then also that opens up the possibility for honda customer teams Yes. Right. So then you could see, okay, well, there's an STR or is there another team or another new team or who knows what. But that does kind of look good for the future in, in terms of, you know, engine parity and everything else. But having uh, a fourth player um, that then, then you know, for next year, they're getting exclusively in the, in the McLaren. But for 2016, that, you know, could open up some options and could be interesting. So just looking down the 2015 lineup so far, um, almost everything is confirmed. Uh, Marusha is not on the list. I think they, that, that team, like we talked about is nothing is going to happen for 2015, you know, to do with the Marusha organization, you know, that, that's yeah. going to get bought out or whatever. Uh, There's probably going to pay off some loans or whatever, but that's Rossi, not going to happen. Man. Poor Alexander Rossi. But, I hope he finds something. Right. But Caterham, um, is on, is on the list as a Caterham Renault, um, with both drivers to be announced. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> who has the biggest pocket? I think they may be listed on eBay, Full the both driver slots, and it's just whichever you want to go. Um, but everything else is confirmed now. Ferrari, well, not everything. Um, Ferrari's confirmed with, with Vettel and Raikkonen. Um, Checo Perez re-signed up at Force India. Yeah, and Hulkenberg was already signed. Hulkenberg's staying on. Roman Grosjean got got confirmed for Lotus for next year. That Maldonado was, was already staying on. Yep. Um, McLaren actually hasn't confirmed anyone. Um, I guess... I, you know, I think they've very unofficially said, okay, Alonso's going to be our guy, and we don't even get to say who's number two, but um, it hasn't officially happened yet, so strictly speaking, McLaren is, you know, both drivers, TBA. Jim thinks Magnuson, I think a little, and slash hope, button. 
uh, right, Mercedes staying the same, good for them. Uh, Infinity League, uh, Red Bull, like we've talked about, is yeah, Ricardo is number one driver, Kafiat yes. number two, Sauber. Interestingly enough, none of their current drivers. They're bringing Marcus Ericsson, who, as you remember, was in the catering earlier, um, but is now a Sauber driver, um, and Felipe Nasser from Brazil. Um, so that's Esteban Gutierrez and Adrian Sutil out. See you bye. They're gone. Yes. Um, STR. And- we know they've confirmed Max Verstappen, not who's in the second car, though. So maybe Carlos Sainz, maybe John Eric Verne. Carlos Sainz Jr. Right, of course. Yes. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and you know, I think there is, there are people, I think, I will include myself, I think Jeb has really earned his spot, but he is old now, being almost in his mid-twenties. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, okay, you were saying STR. Right, so the STR seat is sort of between those guys. The Honda McLaren seat is between the three, um, you know, likelies there, um, and that's it. I mean, Williams is the same as, as this as this year for next year. So, to cater him is really the only one that's an actual question mark, and right. that's not a drive. That, I mean, I guess if you don't have any drive, that's a drive you want. That's but, a drive that Andre Lauder has turned down twice now. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. Uh, and Jolion Palmer as well. I um, should actually I should point out cater him. I would accept the drive. I should say I, I would do that. How many millions of dollars can you throw at them for them to consider you? I can throw many, many fractions of a million dollars at yeah. them. Yes. So that's how that works. Maybe if you, you know, become great friends with a Venezuelan oil company, you can uh, make some inroads there. But otherwise, I was always I was going to say Venezuelan oil company. Have you lost weight? You're just looking amazing looking these days. Good. Um, no surprises in the constructors' championship. Um, pretty much as we talked about, uh, Williams right. did beat Ferrari. Ferrari is fourth in the championship. Yes. McLaren. And secured it, you know, put a stronghold on it. Even. Right. Yeah. Uh, McLaren in fifth, Force India, sixth, STR, Lotus, Marussia. Zero points on the board for Sauber. Zero points for Caterham. No big surprises there. But uh, Mercedes, 701 points, which I know the point systems change all the time, whatever, but that just really seems like a lot. That, are, that is a lot. That is a, that is a great <laughs> many points. Yes. And now discussions of points where now if you look back, you say, oh, well, he's got more points than anyone else is really a silly thing to say on the face of it because, of course, when a win's worth 25, that's very different than a win being worth 10 points How years ago. How about when a win's worth 50? Right, which... but now we have <laughs> another special asterisk to say, okay, well, if it was the normal opponent scoring system from the, the you know, the rest of this series, right. um, you know, then it would have been only this. But it's like, man, it's just it's gotten confusing for uh, for no good outcome. But so it goes. Um, man, uh, <laughs> there's there's plenty more to talk about. Yeah, I think we I, will have crazy. some good off season stuff for everyone. But uh, at this point, I think we might uh, want to hear from our fans. Colin Sato writes in, as he sometimes does, saying, Hi guys, with today's win by Nico Rosberg, and this of course was from Brazil, so this is not today's win, because obviously Nico Rosberg didn't win today. Anyway, do double points in the final race matter anymore? <laughs> Nico goes into the final race trailing by 17 points with double points on the line. By his calculations, assuming that Mercedes duo finish 1-2, Hamilton would win the championship whether or not it was double points. He goes on to uh, to talk about a little bit of the other permutations. And, and we spoke about that. I think uh, Colin's email came in basically right as we were recording or putting online yeah. the previous show where we talked about all the permutations and your brilliant spreadsheet and all that. Yes. Um, but it uh, it does underscore the point that as, as fans watching the show um, of Formula 1, you know, it's it, it, at best the most involved fans, like like you and I are, Robin, and like Colin is, and so on, are looking at it and realizing, like, wait a minute, this doesn't even this doesn't even do, anything. do anything. Yeah. And then for other fans that are like not following it so closely, like, oh, there's double points, and then, you know, like, 
why why is that? Is that is it a bigger race? Is it different? Like why you know it's like right. it either confuses people or it frustrates them. Right. <laughs> and it, it and I guess if double points did its thing, which was to affect the outcome of the championship, then it would probably frustrate even more people. So anyway, um, uh, you know I appreciate the uh, the email, Colin, and that sounds like obviously we all know the answer to the uh, to the question right. now. And, and um, at the end of the day, it played out that Lewis Hamilton won the world championship by sixty seven points because he was in the lead by fifth by seventeen. He scored 50 additional, and Nico scored none. 67. Didn't matter at all if he had only won by, uh, if he only won 25 points a day, it would have been a measly 42 points, but whatever, right? In the, in the immortal words of Vin Diesel, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning's winning. Oh, yes. Nice Fast and the Furious reference. Anyway. The 10 seconds at a time. I live my life a quarter pounder at a time. No, a quarter mile <laughs> it was at a 10 time. seconds at a time. He was quarter he, mile at a time. No, no, no. He didn't. He he said he said I live my life ten seconds at a time. I thought not. Ooh, this is the big off season debate that has just sparked. <laughs> it will uh, it will end with a re uh, reviewing of the iconic Fast and the Furious. You know, before they became. Yeah. No. Here, you want to you want the reviewing? Oh, he he wants it now. Okay, it's just happening right now. Well, Vin Diesel's wrong. No, Should be not. ten seconds at a time. No, that's stupid. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Colin, for the email. Uh, we also got an email from Jamie Whitaker. Um, this is more of the ongoing, uh, you know, young teams and uh, budgets and so Does on. Does Jamie Whitaker agree with me about Vin Diesel? Um, you know, it doesn't say here, but uh, let's let's read the email and see I what's up. I bet he does. Um, Jamie says, I was thinking about the problem of the unfair finances, with smaller teams disappearing and larger teams potentially being asked to run three cars, and I'm beginning to wonder, would it be good, in your opinions, to offer the options uh, to new teams to only run one car for a number of years before having to run a two-car team? Or perhaps some version of a rule saying that a team with annual revenue below X amount has the option of only running one car, and teams with revenue above Y amount must run three. Also, with regards to tires, would the racing be changed much or be more variable strategy-wise if the teams were allowed to choose individually which two of the four compounds of tire they would run at each race? Or would all the teams end up just picking the same two all season? Interested in your thoughts on that? Great podcast. Really enjoy them. Keep it coming. Thanks, Jamie Whitaker. So, starting with the one car for smaller teams, how do you feel about that? Bad idea. I think it's a good idea. Bad idea because you're talking about small teams that try to eventually and slowly become bigger and better teams. You are basically saying, yeah, it's cheaper to have one car instead of two, but I wouldn't say it's half the cost. It's much, much more than half. But what I would say is you're getting half the data, and that's going to make it that much harder to learn how to make the car better and make it more robust and more reliable and faster, et cetera, et cetera. Also, it's going to take more teams to um, fill 20, 22 cars, whatever the number is. We're talking about more teams overall. And if you look at the amount of hospitality and space that each individual team needs, it could literally be a space issue on some of the tracks. Yeah, whatever. Those are solvable problems. I think uh, having... <laughs> you just whatever, my opinion. Yeah. Oh, we are getting a we are getting a spark of the well, tenacious Jim Lau here. I I, guess. 2015 is going to be a banner year for this young man. Could be. Um, I, th- I think it's a good idea. Um, I don't know about the specifically revenue below below X or Y because there's ways you can I think monkey around with these numbers and 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 you know say oh no we want to keep running it this way or that way. But having the having the option of running one car, I agree. Most teams would want to run two cars if they can. Obviously, it's double the sponsor um, you know exposure in terms of results. Um, it's really good for. Um, 
you know, for, for driver, you know, development and driver feedback and, you know, knowing where you are with regard to your teammates. But if you look back to, um, you know, some of the Formula One kind of, you know, obviously the 70s and, you know, I guess uh, in, in that era, you'd have these one-off cars where just somebody got together and made an engine deal to get an engine and put a car together in a garage or whatever and came out and every once in a while that would be something special. Uh, and and the, the ability for a team to do that in this day and age would be really interesting. I don't know how it would actually work out in principle. I'm not saying it's a brilliant strategy that, you know, Sauber should be now a one-car team or whatever, but just um, I think having the option for a team that can't afford it, um, yeah, there is a lot to, uh, a lot of, that it's sort of doubled up on running two cars, where you have, if you still have to fly the same amount of uh, people to all these events all over the world, then, yeah, those, you know, it's not going to be that many more people to run two cars, but there is definitely something, the, the actual amount of uh, you know, car transporter space, uh, you know, the actual parts to be developed, um, how many things need to be there as redundants and spares and all these different things, um, you know, that, and just, you know, the engineering staff that doesn't share between, uh, between the team. Uh, there is less cost involved with running one car. The, really, the problem but, but that's it's incremental. I mean, the vast majority of the cost, factory, wind tunnel, employees, manufacturers, 3D printers, all that kind of stuff, that's there with one car or two. Right. And those are the big cost items. Those are the big ticket items. Right. So why? So if it doesn't make sense for them to do, then why limit people from doing it? If, if some team comes along and says, hey, we just were able to scrape by just enough money to run this one car, but we couldn't possibly run two cars, oh, man, we can't do it. I mean, I think the bigger issue is more maybe customer cars, which then um, factors out some of the wind tunnel and factories and carbon fiber now development that, and whatever. That is a much more logical uh, decision to make, I think, as opposed to – as an alternative – it's like, okay, we don't want teams to run three cars, four cars, whatever, pick a number. We don't want that. But we are going to loosen the noose and allow um, customer cars to happen in a kind of like technically attached kind of a way. That, to me, has a lot more benefits and a lot and fewer um, vices. And I think it's also, it's also going to make for better racing because you're going to take an established – set up an established car and then that independent team can run from there right so although if you're if i guess with your logic then you if you're going to buy a customer car you really have to buy two customer cars because nobody can run one car that just seems ludicrous no 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 if 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 we're going with this idea of teams doing a different thing and at that point if they're going to build their own car it might as well be a customer car well, there you go. So anyway, I think there's there's some merit on, on either side there, and it probably wouldn't make sense for many teams to run one car, but if somehow the circumstances came together that a team could do one but not two, then uh, I'm of the opinion of, of let them do it. The other side of that, though, is the three cars um, and either requiring or, or allowing teams to run three cars. That gets pretty dangerous pretty quickly because if you have a – a successful team with lots of money behind it um, and they're now running two cars and now they're running three, that pushes everyone else back by one spot, which could be points and it could be, you know, obviously places. It just, it makes it that much harder for the small teams and the smaller budgets to ever move forward. That's almost making the problem worse in some way um, where uh, if if you look at, um, you know, there's been suggestions about, okay, if there's a third car, but the third car doesn't score points, then you've got these weird well, no, that's kind of zombie cars where it's like, oh, it's there, and I actually finished you know, 15th, but actually I'm 13th because there were two cars ahead of me that weren't scoring points, so now I get these points, but I didn't have to pass this other car. Like That just becomes stupid, um, in my opinion. I, no, that, there I totally agree with you. I'm, uh, I'm more open to the idea of teams with three cars. I think that uh, Mercedes this year proved that uh, even if you have a dominant team, 
the racing can still be plenty exciting. That in of itself doesn't mean that we're dealing with more boring racing. The biggest problem I see is that uh, you have one team locking out an entire podium potentially, but I I don't care. Well, if you have one team not locking out points, but if it's that much harder, if you think, okay, the teams that can afford to run three cars are probably going to be the ones that are going to be at the top of the grid anyway. So if that means if there's, say, three teams running three cars, that makes it that much harder for any of the small teams to even score points, you know, ever get a podium, you know, get get any kind of top fives or whatever. It makes it that much harder. And I feel like those are the kind of things that really put a young driver and a small team or whatever on the map um, is every once in a while, you know, Checo Perez on the podium over Fernando Alonso, you know, like these 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 moments where you really kind of take take notice of someone that you hadn't before and if the top um, top spots and certainly you know most of the points are predominantly filled out with oh the three ferraris the three ribbles and the three mercedes are there and there's one other guy getting a point um you know that to me it makes a lot less sense than um having the other teams have a have a you know scrappy chance at it or whatever or yeah sell last year's red bull to another team and let them run it and do their own thing and try to make it better um and score their own points have their own development because if we look at even mercedes um is it's got manufacturer money now, but of course it came out of Braun GP, which was one of the smaller, weirder teams of Formula One, uh, which came out of the, the ashes of Honda Formula One. Um, but even before that, it was it was Tyrrell. I mean, it was really a small team um, by the classic standards. It's not a, a even a, a Williams of the world, or obviously a McLaren or Ferrari or something like that. But um, it shows uh, even Red Bull, you know, came from Jaguar and stuff. We, we've talked about this before. Um, how. You know these teams really do start from somewhere, and uh, and and the ability to move forward and not just maintain the same you know top one or two or three teams at the very top um, is a, I think a core part of what makes this interesting and allows other other people to get in there. So um, we'll have to see if if things actually happen. I mean, right now with Caterham on the grid um, or at least sign the papers or whatever for uh, 2015, um, you know we've got 20 cars, which seems pretty reasonable. Um, it can still get smaller than that and still be within the within the rules. So we're not yet. Um, requiring anyone to uh, to run third cars or whatever, but I think that gets pretty dangerous pretty quickly. We start looking at the, the implications down the grid. I would like to respond to what you said by saying, meh, I don't know. I don't agree with that entirely, but it's, uh, you know, what we want, and I think what everyone can agree on, we want a full and exciting grid, and uh, I personally am open to ideas on how to do that, but some, of course, I think are better than others. Moving on. Um, uh, Facebook. You guys have been awesome on Facebook as usual, and I actually want to start with um, you know we were we were we got news that Jules Bianchi is no longer in a medically induced coma, and he is healthy enough. He's breathing independently that he could in fact be moved from Japan to France, um, which means he is now still in hospital, but he is home. Uh, He's in France now. I mean, that that happened. Right, it happened. He is still unconscious, sadly. But it is progress. And how this will uh, play itself out long term, I have to be totally honest, is unknown. But I do know that um, my family was told uh, when I was in my situation that in some ways the longer the coma is, is helpful. It allows the body to heal more completely. So hopefully what's happening is... Uh, he's in a sedated state and his body is putting everything back together. And when he does um, regain consciousness, he he's able to make a more complete recovery. And uh, that's a, that's definitely something that I know that I will personally keep uh, close tabs on uh, throughout this off season. But um, I don't think we'll see him at the uh, winter test on Tuesday, but you know, 
we are we're keeping our fingers crossed. Right, and I guess it's important to not, um, you know, not that any of our um, you know comments or whatever are gonna are gonna you know push them forward. But it's like give it time is really the biggest thing. It's like yeah. these doctors know what what's going on, and there's not there's not no need for a rush to say, oh man, we need to get him fixed before this time so that he can go drive again. It's like no, just this is you know he's he's got his. Uh, his battle here to, to fight and uh, he's, he's working on it. Everyone's working on it to, uh, to do their best. So it's just, there's no reason to rush anything here or, or if you don't hear anything, expect, um, you know, assume, you know, good or bad things. It's just like, give it time. And uh, hopefully everything just keeps progressing as it should. And they'll tell us when there's more news to tell us and don't, we don't need to worry about it. Yes. Um, also, thank you to the, <laughs> I had this, I just, I stumbled upon this. It was just, Absolutely brilliant to hear again. Uh, Johnny Herbert in the Lamar winning uh, Mazda 787B with a four-rotor engine that just screams this beautiful, beautiful sound. It's kind of crazy. And people enjoy that. That's pretty sweet. Um, but uh, our last podcast, we had uh, people checked out. So thanks again, and as always, to Neil Poppin, who uh, kind of reiterated, it's like, oh, wow, your foremost likely incomes is something I've been thinking myself. And it did kind of sort of turn out to be the case. Um, Bernard A, Tony Drake, um, Ross Hill, Jim Helwig, and Lori Jordan all commenting, and uh, we appreciate their their in- insights and, and feedback. And today, with uh, we got up early to watch the race live. You came over to my place, and uh, we had to got got to get up and and follow everything at was it eight a.m. local time start. So which really turned into a conversation about how old we've become. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but uh, it's whatever. A little bit, but uh, there was some guy, Robin Warner, who's tweeting a bunch of stuff. And, oh, yeah. Uh, hashtag, I heard he's brilliant. Hashtag FWCars. Um, but no, a lot, a lot of people taking part in that today. So uh, some of the same folks from, from Facebook as well. But um, thanks, as always, to folks taking part in that. Um, we, you know, it's great to hear the uh, people chiming in from Australia, from England, from Brazil, from the west coast of the U.S., um, west coast of Canada as well. Um, just Wait, were people west coast of the U.S.? Seriously? Because that's like, you know... It was, Five in the morning, race Goofball start for them. time. No, well, uh, Lori Jordan from, uh, from I think, Vancouver. Well, she's British Columbia, but right. yeah, same time zone, right? right. Wow. So, oh, yeah, Pacific, wow. Uh, Pacific time there. Good for her. Uh, I didn't look Jeez. up everyone's location here. But yeah, it's, uh, it's great, to, uh, great to hear from everyone, and uh, thank you, as always, for checking that out. Um, and so there may not be so much activity on hash FW cars when there's not live racing and stuff, but um, please do, folks, keep an eye on funwithcars.com. And uh, certainly, if you don't follow us now in Twitter or Facebook, then uh, it's a good time to check that out to uh, to see because you don't always know when we're going to come up with a with a brilliant new podcast uh, or other stuff, fun stuff on our website. So um, definitely stay tuned to that to uh, to check out what we've got going in the off season. And again, that's uh, funwithcars.com, or you can always send an email to feedback at funwithcars.com. Predictions are. Over. The last time we predict while well, Sebastian Vettel is driving a Red Bull. Can you believe that? Oh, my well, God. Well, that already happened because we already predicted and now this is the result. Anyway. Yes. It, it, it's done. 2014 has ended. And first and foremost, we have to send a huge congratulations not to the winner of predictions this year, but to our main man, Mr. Prediction Stud himself, Neil Popham. This thing is awesome. It's, a, just, it's just a huge relief for us. And he he's Mr. Fix-It. He set the whole thing up. So 
uh, more cokes to Neil Popham is what I say first and foremost. Right, and he was indeed Mr. Fix-It today because we actually broke predictions by putting in bad results and then it, right. then it gave bad numbers and then he fixed it. And it, you know, Anyway, great effort on a Sunday afternoon to, uh, to sort that out for us, Neil. So thank you again for that. Yes, once again, thank you. And uh, then, uh, secondarily, thank uh, congratulations to Mr. Kirkland DeCastro, who managed to score but 48 points throughout this entire season. Including zero today. Including zero today. And wins many, many Cokes. He wins all the Cokes. And congratulations to him. He, he played well and, uh, and deserves our praise. So we had today 12 folks accurately predicting Rossberg for pole, Hamilton for the win. So good job to all those folks. Really got it. Just nailed it on that one. Uh, you, Sir Robin, were tied with many, many other people for 13th place with a Hamilton-Hamilton prediction. Uh, yes. It goes on for pages and pages with the people that predicted that. Um, also a very, very reasonable prediction. Um, then you've got a couple of like Rosberg, Massa, Massa, Hamilton, Hamilton, Ricardo, a couple other permutations in there before you get back to 13 points, which is what I got and what the spreadsheet model got and a bunch of others. So we're tied for 117th place with a Rosberg, Rosberg prediction worth 13 points. Yes. Um, Honorable mention to Blake Anderson, who predicted Vettel for pole position and yes. Rosberg for the win, which seemed reasonable at the it's time. It's entirely reasonable in many ways, but boy, a, oh boy. He got 31 points, which when you think about 31 points is how bad it can go in one race. And Kirkland, over the course of the season, got, what was it, 48? It's like, that's pretty incredible. So, yeah. well done to Kirkland DeCastro. Well, and here's something to think about as well. Just above uh, uh uh, Blake Anderson, Matt Mel, and Chris Stark, who uh, both between you know both predicted Vettel on pole and to go on and win the race. A year ago, that would have been pretty much a sure thing, right? That, Twelve how, months later, wow, right? And uh, so I finished with ninety nine points, not so excellent, but in twenty seventh spot um, uh, with uh, Damian in thirty first. So at least we can say that. Uh, you know what? Uh, Thirty folks uh, ended up doing better than a simple uh, prediction spreadsheet uh, in this in this season. So I guess we can take some solace in that as as humans. Um, some solace shall be taken. I, on the other hand, just twenty five points behind, but eighty fifth place. So we were, you know, we made up the tight midfield, and I was definitely much farther back in it than you were. So uh, my hats off to you, sir. And uh, I think that we will celebrate. Maybe what we'll do is replace the 25 Cokes with um, one margarita. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, think, I guess I owe Kirkland to Castro now 47 Cokes, uh, and you owe him like 118 Many, many more Cokes. Um, so, All the Cokes. quick rundown uh, of the, the, the top 10 from predictions. Kirkland to Castro, number one. Well, well done. Um, Tony Minty Shambrook, number two. Uh, Andrew Winter, Mark Page, Ryoji Rayo Itakura, Ann Shaw, Ali Hazelgrove, who tied with Jason Brown and Andrew Bennett. And Adam Wright in number 10th spot with 75 points. So well done, all 10 of you. Very, very well, uh, you know, nice, um, you know, group of people, you know, maintaining through the season. <laughs> with, they are a nice group of people. You say like a tight-knit bunch, but it's not that they even know each other necessarily. They're just all predicting very well. Well, so they it, all have one brilliant thing in common, which is being a part of the F1 show community. Sorry, what? Wait. Fun, fun with cars? Yes. Oh. Oh. Yes. What is that? Man, I just did what that. What did I just ago. say? And, and here you, yeah, copyright, Formula One, etc. cetera. Uh, Bernie Ecclestone all, owns all rights here and forever Formula forward. One is, is a wonderful thing on all accounts. We love it. Uh, we are fun with cars and nothing else. This podcast is not officially endorsed by Formula One Licensing Incorporated. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> but well, no, how many the, mistakes but the fact that, am I going to make today? The fact that that many folks, I mean, it was 163 people at the end of it um, taking place. And so the fact that you could even be 89th place, that that many people are taking part such that you can make perfectly reasonable predictions and still, uh, you know, still be that many places is actually kind of an exciting thing that we have so many people taking part that, uh, that you know, it's an actual championship. Because if there's just, you know, three of us and then we come third, it's like, ah, oh, whatever. So anyway, thank you for people taking part. Um, we hope to, you know, continue with not only the momentum of podcasts, um, but other more fun stuff on the website, uh, more to do with the Facebook and interactive things and whatever. Absolutely. I mean, and that, w- what we're talking about is blog and maybe even some video. So it's something we really want to do. We really, we really want to help um, minimize the uh, the gap of Formula One racing with other types of fun entertainment. Thanks to remind ourselves that motorsport is amazing. It sure is. And we always like to hear what you guys like and what you don't, um, not only just with regards to the racing, and I think people have made their opinions um, very clear on the issues of the season, uh, such as the double points finale yeah, and driver, insights driver and back and forth. Absolutely. There may, I kind of recall something about people's, you know, the noise of something or other at the beginning. <laughs> it was tire noise. Or was, I don't know, something or other. But, um, but also just about, we about will, the show itself. We will talk with Jamie again sometime soon. Do not worry. Oh, man. Yeah, he has plenty to say about that. But, uh, yeah, so we always we do welcome your feedback as well on uh, the show and what you like and what you want to see out of us, um, what, what would make it more exciting for you or, or less so. So um, Yeah, do. no, we, we, generally, we genuinely want to hear of like ways you guys think, not just, hey, are you guys good, are you guys bad, whatever. It's like, what, what are the things that would really make you enjoy the show more and make the show more popular? Those are the type of things we want to hear um, because we like being good at things and we think we should be gooder. <laughs> Man, I just cringe as you say that. Anyway, um, please do uh, keep in touch with us uh, on funwithcars.com and through Twitter and Facebook to uh, to see what we've got coming in the off season. And uh, if you have any any friends of yours that are interested in Formula One as well, who are also now going to be hurting for the lack of uh, lack of races to watch and no more stuff going on in the official championship, well, send them our way because we should have plenty of fun, cool stuff to uh, to look at in the off season. Because we like fun, we like cool, and we like, we cars. like stuff. So you know yeah. it all it all it all fits together. But uh, anyway, thank you as always for listening. Thank you again to folks taking part in uh, predictions and doing so well, and Neil Papa making that whole system work, and uh, all all those of you who have sent us emails and tweets and Facebook messages and everything uh, over the season. And uh, we're not done yet, so um, please do keep in touch. Uh, Till then, I am Jim Lau, and I'm Robin Warner. Congratulations, Lewis Hamilton, the 16th multiple drivers' world champion.